we're going to continue on in Genesis 44. So if you are able, please stand and join me for the reading of God's word. We'll have some guys coming down the aisles that will hand you a Bible if you need one. Just wave, wave your hand. And we're going to be in Genesis 44, verse 18 through 34 as we continue on in our series. Okay. And it reads, at verse 18, Genesis 44. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servant, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, Yes, my Lord. We have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of much of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless we let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see this man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, As you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now if you take his brother away from me and and any harm comes to him, you will be sending this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. If he sees that boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guarantee my father that I, I would take care of the boy. I told him, if you don't bring him back to you, to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear it to see the anguish this would cause my father. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. We're thankful. We're humbled that you came down to earth to save us, Lord, as we sang to you, as we worship you, Lord. We just recognize that, Lord, and we just want to thank you for your word, that we get to read it freely and openly, and we're not, we don't have to do it in hiding, Lord. Lord, as we continue on and dive into your word, I just pray that you use me for your glory. Let me say what you want me to say and not what you don't want me to say, Lord. Lord, you're so good, and thank you for preparing our hearts. Thank you for bringing us here. We just are eagerly, eagerly anticipating all that you have in store, especially as we are preparing to celebrate you for Christmas, God. So we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. May have a seat. <clears throat> so over the last uh, two weeks, Chris and David has been teaching, obviously, and if you if you have not been here, I recommend going online and listening uh, to those uh, messages. They were fantastic. And, and I was listening to them while I was away, and, and I, of course, thought they were wonderful. But I found myself thinking and even saying out loud, well, hurry up, Joseph, and just reveal yourself already. Like, you've dragged us out long enough. I don't know if any of you have been in that place. Maybe if you are familiar with this story, uh, this is the section where you just skip ahead and you want to read where Joseph reveals to his, his brothers, it's me. Uh, even in, in, in our life group this week, when I returned, we went to life group, and that was kind of a topic of conversation in our life group. We were talking about, 
it's nice to sit in the story for a while, but sometimes you just got to scoop out the soup and start eating it. Like, let's get to it. But I just want to, I want to slow us down, perhaps slow me down and just look at this before the great reveal. And perhaps, at least for me, this is the part of the story that is the most transformational part that I see. That I see God's grace in full effect for the brothers. And it's subtle and it takes place. And uh, it, it really just sounds like a recap of what we read, right? When we were going through this and I was reading it and you were reading along, didn't you find yourself thinking, yeah, we already know this. We already know what has happened. We already know what's taking place. And, and, uh, but before we move on and we see this great reveal and, and everything that's taking place, I just want to walk us through a couple of things that I've noticed that, that stands out. And this is where we see the brothers of Joseph turn around. It's, if I were to ask you about the story of Joseph, or if I, I challenge everyone, go share the story of Joseph. What's the first few things that you would share? Joseph, brothers, coat, a musical, thrown in a pit. I mean, what, what would you say? Uh, again, you probably wouldn't necessarily get to this point. Uh, not that it's not important, but, but we like the good stuff. I know a couple of weeks I, I asked if anybody would be honest and if they're reading a book, if they skip ahead and read the last two chapters to see if it's okay or not. No one raised their hand, but sometimes I do that because if I start reading the story and it's a little sad, I, I want a happy ending. I like, I like Disney happy endings. I do. Um, and probably you do too because in our own life, that's what we desire. And perhaps this is actually where we see the happiest ending start to t- unfold. So as we, as we reach the end of chapter 44, we're, we'll just see um, this taking place. And, and, and it's interesting because Judah, the one who is giving this dissertation, he stands before Pharaoh and he starts talking. It's his bloodline that will continue on that we get our Savior, Jesus Christ. Which is so amazing to me. Because if, if I was writing this story, the bloodline leading to Jesus would come from Joseph. I would want a real good character guy, the guy that we have celebrated to be where Jesus comes from. But of course, that's what makes the Bible so wonderful. It's always warts and all, scars, the ugliness, not sweeping anything under the table. Judah, the one who steps up, the one that's been just awful, and we'll go through that these last few chapters. He's the one who comes forward. And, 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 we won't, and I won't read through this, but I just want to point out that several times in verse 18, he says, please, my Lord. He says, your servant. In verse 19, it says, my Lord. And in verse 20, he, again, he says, yes, my Lord. 21 or 22, he sees that. And you see this over and over again. He is directly recognizing that Joseph, even though he doesn't know it's his brother, is my Lord. And he comes before and he says, your servant. Now, isn't this greatly different than how he was acting the whole time? So when I was going through this, and I was spending a lot of time uh, going through this before my trip, during the trip, and I was looking through this, and I really started to see a change of heart. But then I had to be careful. And I think we have to be careful when we see someone have a change of heart not to be judgmental. We want to see the change, but yet we don't want to measure it by how successful they are. I know in... in, uh, premarital counseling, whenever someone wants to get married and ask me to perform the ceremony, I always do premarital counseling. I think all or most pastors do that. I think it's very important. 
And one of the things that was done for Natalie and I that I continue to continue to share with couples who are getting married is the fact that you don't want to always compare your spouse to what to what performance they're they're doing. So obviously your wedding is wonderful. Vacations are wonderful. Everything uh, at the highlight moments is wonderful. You really can't mess that up. Well, if you mess up vacation, then there's no hope. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But like, the, the, don't measure everything by the peaks and don't measure everything by the valleys. Just measure it by the person who they are becoming in Christ. That changes. It's, it, don't ever look at your spouse like they owe you. Always look like you owe your spouse everything. And if you both continue to do that, you will both continue to serve God. And this is where we're seeing that change, where we want to see change. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. And part of forgiveness, the trap that we fall into is we expect, anticipate a change in someone. If someone has wronged us, they've apologized, we want to see a change. Now, for those of you who have children and grandchildren, you know this is true. How quick are they to say sorry so they don't get in trouble? Right? You catch them doing something, and even before you say something, I'm sorry. You're like, I- you just admitted, and I didn't even actually catch you, but sure, what, what are you sorry about? So we do that, right? We, we, want, we want them to apologize, we want them to be sincere, and we want to see a change, right? If you, have, if you have a kid at home that comes home late every single day, and they say, I will never do it again, you would expect that they would never do it again, right? And when they don't, what do you do? You feel like you start all over again, right? So this change of heart that has definitely have taken, has taken place, sometimes we want to see evidence. I really want to see that that person is a changed person. And we already start seeing it in the language because the words that we use is usually an indication of what's going on in our heart. At least that's what Proverbs tells us, right? So he stands before him, before Joseph, and he starts speaking right away. He says, please, my Lord. Now, this is a big deal because a servant or anybody isn't allowed to speak to a Lord in the Egyptian time to a Pharaoh or anyone second in command without being spoken to first. So the the opportunity that he has to come before and say, please hear me, he could have immediately been silenced, sent to jail, killed for that. But it didn't matter. And I think that is the first indication that there's a change of heart. The first situation he didn't allow to prevent him from speaking and confessing what is going on. I know that's true for me. You know, sometimes you build up the courage to have that conversation with someone. I remember that as a kid. And then all of a sudden you're about to say it and then the phone rings. And you're like, oh, it's a sign from God. Must, yeah, I'm out of here. You know, we make up all of these little excuses why not to do it. So the fact that Judah had no right to come and confess his sins or start to speak to Pharaoh... He didn't let that get in the way. And again, he just, he used the words Lord and, and, and your servant. So he's already showing a change of heart. And just real quick, and we'll circle back. If you drop down to 28, it says, and one of them, or excuse me, 27, it says, then my father said to us, as he's giving the reaccount of the story, as you know, my wife had two sons and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. So he's saying, this is what my father is telling the story. This is probably the first time that Joseph actually hears what his dad believes happens to him. Can you imagine that? You know that you haven't seen your father in 20 plus years, but now you're hearing 
what your father has thought has happened to you after all of this time. That had to have been a shock to the system. It's not even what happened. He probably thought, well, my dad knows something happened to me, but to to be eaten by animals. So here's Judah. He's confessing all of this. And he's saying, now, now Joseph is hearing what his father has believed that has happened to him for the first time. And as he continues on, and we go down to 29, it says, Now if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. This is the first time Judah is now and with the brothers are recognizing that they actually have compassion for their father. Because if you remember earlier in the story, they were mad at the, their father for liking Joseph first. So now they actually are concerned for him. And in verse 30 goes on and says, And now, my Lord, I cannot go back without my father Without the boy, our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. If he sees that boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. And all the while, he, they are talking about Joseph's father, and he doesn't know it. When he sees this, 20 years before Joseph's brothers has always been showing this callous heart, disregarding their father Reporting Joseph's death. Oh, I think an animal, something happened. They showed him the coat. You can go back and see that in Genesis 37. And Judah showed that they were now greatly concerned for the feelings and the welfare of their father. And that evidence of a heart change. And remember, before they had no regard for both Joseph and their father. They lied to him. And they were happy to see him hurt. Because he got what he deserved for having a favorite. And part of the change of heart is a heart not just to focus on yourself, but on for other, for other people. And again, for those of you who are currently in the child-wearing stages, rearing stages, you've probably noticed sometimes it's hard, even for ourselves, to start caring about other people. One of the things that I, I've noticed before being a youth pastor and all the other things that I, I have been is Sometimes adults, us, we act like children, right? We say, it's not fair. This is what I want. And it seems to come out during Christmas time, sadly, right? I mean, if you think about it, think about the toy list that you have. And now Amazon has made it easy where you just click what you want. And then you send the link to everybody and say, this is what you should buy me. It's like such a counter to, to the selfishness that can take place. And so here we see the, this pleading of Judah that he's talking. And here's the change. Verse 32, he says, My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. Let me take his place. Please let me take Benjamin's place. Here in this one verse, we see the actual change of heart going from selling a brother into slavery to stepping in and taking the spot of the slave. And he goes on in verse 34, he says, For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Judah was the one, if you remember, he was the one who suggested, Hey, let's sell Joseph for for a couple of coins. Let's sell him. Here he his sen, his, the sensitivity offered to lay down his own life in favor of the favored brother. This display is a sacrificial love. We're starting to see here. I will take the place of it. 
And we see this throughout, uh, uh, throughout the Bible. It's just a, such a theme leading up to Jesus Christ. Moses, he was willing uh, to offer himself for the, the uh, uh, salvation of the Israelites in Exodus. We see Paul in Romans 9, 1, 4, talking about sacrificial love is evident and transformational. In John 13, 34, we went over that whenever we were going through that series. Uh, 34 says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. So what does love require of you? So it's real easy to say, yeah, I love someone. Uh, love each other just as I have loved you. Jesus is telling us this. But what does love actually look like in action? Are you willing to step into the place for somebody else's situation? Are you, are you willing to take the burden, the blame, if it means someone can come to know Christ? So uh, I won't overshare on my trip, but, and, and uh, I can't sum up in two minutes the impact that it had on me. And anyone who's gone on a trip uh, knows the impact. But one of the most significant things that happened uh, to me on the trip was we ventured out to Bethlehem. We went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And that's a big deal because usually they don't let people go into Bethlehem. You have to cross through this fake border wall. And within Bethlehem is Palestinian Christians. And if you don't know, that is a big deal to be Palest- from Palestine, Palestinian. You have no home and you're a Christian. So you've abandoned what the faith of the Muslims should be. And as we were driving through the city, store after store after store, house after house after house was all boarded up because the Christians have pretty much left. And when we were, uh, we went to this olive wood factory and we met the owner who is a Christian. And he was sharing all different things about the olive wood. Uh, And then he showed us into the factory and he asked everybody, what did it look like? So we were looking at, well, it looks like a factory. I don't know. Um, there's some wood over there and some wood over there. Like, I, I was pretty simple. If you haven't figured that out, I am. And I was really looking, like, where's Waldo? I was waiting for this big reveal. Like, I couldn't see it. And all these people were giving all these great answers. And I was like, I'm going to move to the back and let the smart people talk. Right? So then all of a sudden, he asked everyone to go stand behind a chair. And everyone stood behind a chair. And he said, everyone, turn the chair around. And he turned the, we all turned the chair around. Instantly, it was a church. How did I not see that? It was incredible. He said, he, he was sharing that obviously it's not popular in Israel to be in Palestine, in Bethlehem, to be a Christian. And yet, he had a church in his shop. So if anything should happen, you just turn the chairs around and it looks like back to a factory. And I was incredibly blown away. And then he started sharing a story that really lined up with forgiveness. And he was sharing that uh, a heart change. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a sermon. So, and he was sharing that part of the issues that he and his brothers and sisters in Christ in, in Bethlehem have is to forgive those who are attacking them. And not just to forgive them, but to witness to them, even if it means that they would leave their secure place. So he would share that he had some regret of all the opportunities he's missed having this factory, hiring Palestinian Christians to work, and yet being one of the only stores for 10 stores both ways open. 
But he was sharing that a change of heart, and he was and he was talking about sometimes there have been a few Muslim people who have had a change of heart, but yet he didn't believe it because he thought it was a trick. And he was sharing how dare he assumes that he has to be the one that measures a heart change. And here we see, going back to the story, we see here Judah is expressing the change of heart. He's saying, these are the things that we've done wrong. David shared last week of the guilt that we shouldn't have because of the grace of God and how that can uh, uh, get in the way uh, and not recognize what God is actually doing in our life. And yet here he is standing before, not only confessing what happened, but saying, I am willing to take the place of the favored brother because I did not do that way back with Joseph. I find it interesting that if there was no famine, then Jacob would have never had the need to get food. And if there was no famine, he would have never sent his sons into Egypt. And if there was no famine, Joseph would have not seen his brothers. I think perhaps the first part of this uh, this story that he tells of Pharaoh of the dream, interpreting the dream. I saw those seven good years of plenty, seven years of famine. But, but the famine, the hard part, is what began the transformation, the redemption story. I found that it, it's the hard seasons in our life that transforms us to God. Without the famine, the this, this situation right before, Jacob, or before Judah wouldn't have been there. If, 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 if Jacob and his sons would have never, they would have never had to deal with this. They would, all of this that has taken place 20 plus years ago with Joseph. God sent this famine to, to help the brothers deal with their sin. We're at a point of the story where we see the heart of God for not just for Joseph, but for the brothers. And perhaps at this point, we begin to be able to celebrate and see how God sustains Joseph through this journey. But now we get to celebrate and see how God sustained the brothers. Judah commits himself and all of his brothers to stick with Benjamin, even as slaves in Egypt. At this time, they're probably somewhere in their 40s, early 50s, roughly. They're coming from a, a good place in Cana, and now they're willing to take and stand as slaves. They fell before on the ground to demonstrate that the brothers were desperate to gain favor with the Egyptian official to obtain the release. Uh, They knew that to lose Benjamin at the same way that they lost, they got rid of Joseph, would have meant the end of them for their father. Willing to go into slavery as middle-aged men. So here we are, and he says, my Lord's... uh, we're here, and, and Judah begins, and it's the longest dialect that we have of one of the brothers speaking, and, and he wasn't willing to lose Benjamin at any cost. He was going to, and I always wonder, what would have happened if Joseph would have said, no, I'm keeping Benjamin? Would he have been, what would he have done? Would he have not left? No, you don't understand. I have to do it. So part of the famine, while I well, we'll see this is, is that would have meant that the Nile River had receded. Everything was barren, completely gone. And Judah tells Joseph this story from beginning to end, a repentant heart, a change of heart. And again, I just think we just have to be careful not to be judgmental when we're waiting for people to prove that they have had a change of heart. And perhaps I'm only speaking to me. 
you know, the whole story, fool, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But it's not even that. That's not even good theology. It's just forgive and allow God to work in their lives for the change of heart. And then again, he says, please let your servant remain instead of this boy, a slave to the Lord. Judah dramatically offers to lay down his life for the sake of Benjamin, for the expense of their father. It didn't matter. He has lived his life. And a couple of takeaways that I have here. That Judah distinguished himself as the one willing to be a substitutionary sacrifice. Out of love for his father, out of love of his brothers, out of the love to do what is right. They did not resent it when Benjamin was given a favored position. They did that with Joseph. They trusted each other. That's another thing that, that stood out to me when David was teaching last week and Chris the week before. That even through this testing, this silver cup testing, the brothers never at once accused each other or Benjamin, oh, you did it. You had to have done it. They all agreed that none of them would have done that. They stuck together when the silver cup was found. They did not abandon the favored son. They completely humbled themselves for the sake of the favored son. Feeling as if their their predicament was a result of their sin. And they offered themselves as slaves to Egypt. Not abandoning Benjamin, the favored son. They showed due concern for him. They They cared for their father. And Judah was willing to be a stationary, a substitutionary sacrifice for his brother out of the love. So I think many times I can find myself as Joseph in the story. When we go through the story of Joseph, I think sometimes, at least for me, I can focus on and think, yeah, I'm Joseph in this story. I mean, I've never been thrown in a pit. I've never been sold into slavery. I've never been accused of rape. I've never, but outside of that, I could be Joseph, the one that's picked on, the one that it's unfair and the more that we go through this story and, and, and we skip to the end, like I said, and, and we see how God uses bad situations for the good. And, we, and that's kind of how the story ends. And we quote that. And, and then we recognize that God is sovereign, which he is indeed sovereign and he's in control. But this last week or so, as I've been spending time looking through this, I think many times I'm more like the brothers than I am of Joseph. So I wrote down a couple of thoughts about this. It was someone else's love for God and their desire to help someone else lead me to redemption to be restored to Christ. Someone else, when I was young, and for you, I don't know when you came to the Lord, it was somebody else that came to you that shared the gospel with you. And perhaps some of you, you were, the gospel was shared over and over again by many, many people. But it was the love for me that Jerry Fishback shared Christ with me when I was little and that I accepted Christ. I remember his name. I was Joseph's brothers. I needed the forgiveness. I needed someone to point that out. It was through that love that I had a change of heart. And what I see here in the story is a change of heart in action. I've seen many times that people have a change of heart, but yet hold on to the past. And really, if I, if I could sum up what's going on here, uh, our challenge for this week is, if indeed you have been saved by God's grace, because we all know we haven't earned it, God did everything, Jesus did it on the cross, and we've accepted that gift. And now we, now we want to live a life, now we want to uh, 
do what God desires of us. Be in, 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 in step with God. We're not going to be perfect, but we want that sanctifying power to work in our lives. One of the things that can prevent us from moving forward, regardless of our age, regardless of our walk, is holding on to past mistakes in our life. And, and here, here's just a quick test that I've come up with just for myself if I have moved on from past mistakes. When I tell the story of what happened, do I say it with regret or with gratitude? When I'm telling a story to somebody of a mistake or something bad that I did in, in my past, do I share the story with regret or do I share it with such grace, mercy, and thankfulness that I'm no longer that person? Or if I start out the story by saying, I wish I could go back. Or if I was able to go back and do it all over again, here's all the things I would have done. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times in our lives where right now when I said that statement, you probably thought one, if you're like me, 10. I don't know, right? If I, I wish I could go back and if I did it. But you notice here that Judah doesn't do that. He doesn't go before Joseph. And I'm going to read that over again as we end here. He doesn't go back and say, these are all the things that I wish I would have done. I wish we would have never thrown Joseph in the pit. Does he think that way? Of course. I wish we would have never sold him into slavery. Does he think that way? Of course. All he does is give an account of what has happened. And, and he can't go back in the past and change it. But what he can do is stand in the gap for Benjamin. I can now take the right steps of moving forward. Again, we don't see that with him. We see him owning it. On behalf of him and his brothers. And we see him not staying in the past. And we see him moving forward. He is in a place where given the opportunity to do the right thing now. Even if it's similar to a situation in the past. He does the right thing now. He is faced with the chance of taking the place of Benjamin. And I'm absolutely sure that at this point in his heart he was thinking. I wish I was the one in the pit not Joseph. I wish it wasn't my idea to sell him. I wish, I wish, I wish if I could get a do-over. So part of a changed heart is truly, honestly accepting God's grace, forgiveness, and mercy in order to not prevent us from being stuck in the past, but to move forward. Again, that quick brief story that I told you about the Christian in Bethlehem, the Palestinian Christian And he kind of ended his talk with us by saying, but today is a new day and any Muslim person that I come across or someone who's not a Christian, I'm willing to share my faith. Not worrying about all of the things that he had messed up on the time. And I see that here with Judah. So with that in mind, let me just read what he says that Judah says standing in front of Joseph, and this is what he reads. So think about it from that perspective. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant just say one word to you. Please don't be angry with me, even though you are a powerful, you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or brother? And we responded, Yes, my Lord. We have a father who is an old man and his youngest son is a child of old age. His full brother is dead and he alone is left to his mother's children and his father loves him very much. 
And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see this man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless, he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send him, this grieving white-haired man, to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. If he sees that boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guarantee to my father that I would take care of that boy. I told him, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my, turn to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. When given the opportunity to do the right thing, he was focused on the opportunity to do the right thing and not wishing and praying that he could change the past. So my challenge for all of us, especially during this Christmas season, it seems to bring it out, is ask for forgiveness, receive God's grace and mercy for what happened in the past, and your next step, make it an obedient one. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this time, Lord. Lord, as we see the story being revealed in front of us, as we see a changed heart, how greatly different it is to see uh, what we first read earlier. How could someone, how could these brothers possibly have a change of heart after all that they have done? But yet that is the secret to your, to who you are. You are able and able, you're able to change the hearts of those we feel that are least likely to change. Including me, including us, Lord. So, Lord, as we, as we continue on to move in our life, as we serve you, as we want to grow in you and grow closer to you, let us not forget the past, Lord, but let us move on by your grace and mercy. And, and let us be able to take the next step forward in obedience, Lord. Lord, and when there's a situation similar to the one that we messed up in the past, give us the strength, the courage, the obedience to make the right one. Lord, again, allow us to forgive those um, that we need to forgive, Lord. And let us not hold them in a jail cell of being judgmental, Lord. Let us believe that your work can be done in their lives as we believe your work can be done in our lives. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you now through song, we just pray that you just speak to us. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that you saved us so that way these truths are true. So we thank you. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.